I can't promise to um, do the reading with quite the flair that the pastor did it a little bit earlier on. But uh, we're reading from the Word of God from Luke chapter 5 and reading from verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is God's word. Always a great pleasure to share with you from God's Word. Looking forward to uh, sharing with you again this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series this term looking at the miracles of Jesus. And often when we um, think about the miracles of Jesus, we particularly think of kind of physical healings. And many of us may think, well, I've never experienced a physical healing, so I haven't really experienced a miracle of Jesus. But let me tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus then we are all recipients of the greatest miracle of all. I want to open us this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege and opportunity this morning of opening your word, Lord, this ancient text that continues to be told and retold and handed down from generation to generation. We acknowledge, Lord, that your word is living and active and we invite your Holy Spirit who is the author of this word, to soften our hearts this morning that we may hear afresh from you, that we might be drawn closer to you, that we might fix our eyes on you, that we might become more like you and as a result that others might come to know you and also become more like you. Thank you for your healing ministry. Thank you for your teaching ministry, Jesus. And we come now and sit under that through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit who is here with us in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Luke 5, 17 to 19. This story is also found in Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 9, the healing of the paralytic. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. At the very beginning of this passage, we read about the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law. And uh, Jesus was a great teacher. And word was spreading around the region that a great teacher, a, a rabbi, if you will, of God, was in town. And he was teaching. And this is the first time in Luke's gospel that the Pharisees are introduced into the text. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes were the religious experts of the day. More than anybody else, they kind of knew and had a grasp on the teachings of the Torah, the five first books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And I find it fascinating that in this moment, you know, Jesus, the teacher, is going to be teaching teachers. And that can be daunting. You know, one of the things that was fascinating for me coming to this church was you know, a lot of people said to me, there's a lot of retired pastors in that church, and how are you going to feel about that? And to be honest, it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, at times, though, it has been a little bit daunting, preaching in front of, uh, of, of others who have had a wonderful preaching ministry themselves. Uh, but it's wonderful to be um, in such great company of men and women who love the Lord and who love the Scriptures. And I feel as though I've received nothing but great mentoring and encouragement, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. But uh, I guess what Luke is doing in this moment is setting up a dynamic that as a listener, you particularly the original readers of this text can immediately sense the tension uh, that's going on. And, and he notes there that they were sitting. And that was actually a, a posture of authority. You think about a judge sitting in his chair. He's sitting in a position of judgment and authority. And so even the very posture of the Pharisee and the, and the scribes in this moment is almost one of, of kind of judgment, if you like. And uh, we can see the tension building up in the text, which Luke, the author, is very much setting. And they'd kind of come from all around the region to hear what Jesus was Teaching. Now, the Pharisees were real rigorists for the Torah, for the law, and they were so passionate, ensuring that people followed the law, the five first books of Moses, to a T. They had um, additional teachings, uh, there were other body uh, of, of, of works that kind of went into greater detail as to how you would actually follow through with a lot of these laws. And uh, they had other religious traditions. Now, the reason that they were so passionate about this was that they believed that if, if people actually obeyed God and followed the ways of God as prescribed in the Torah, then God would send his promised Messiah. And that Messiah would come and he would rescue and overthrow the, the Roman Empire. And, and they would live in the freedom of, of the reign of that Messiah. And what's fascinating is that the very people 
who had all the religious knowledge and expertise were the very ones who sat in judgment and were also the very ones who were unable to see the Messiah in the flesh. And I think this serves as a caution for us. For many of us who have grown up in church and we've heard sermon after sermon and we've gone to Bible study after Bible study and we've read book after book, as good as having all of this knowledge is, I think there is a danger that we can have all the knowledge in the world but fail to discern a movement of God right before our very eyes. And that's what we see happening in this text. The Luke goes on to specifically mention that Jesus had been anointed, that the power of the Lord was on him to heal the sick. Now, just a chapter earlier, Luke um, writes about Jesus standing up in the temple and reading from the scroll of Isaiah in chapter 4. And this is a little bit like the mission statement of Jesus, particularly for Luke's gospel. And then the, if you read the rest of Luke's gospel through the lens of, of what Jesus says here, quoting Isaiah, it, it makes a lot of sense. So what Luke is going to do is he's going to include lots of stories of Jesus particularly um, proclaiming good news, releasing prisoners, giving sight to the blind and setting the oppressed ones free because that's exactly what Jesus said he was coming to do. So when we look at the story of Jesus healing the paralytic in chapter 5, we can see here is a, another fulfillment of what Jesus said about himself in chapter 4. So Jesus had been anointed by God. He had the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. That's not unlike you and I. We too have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, in a sense, have been anointed by God and anointed for God. Immediately before the passage on Jesus healing the paralytic, we see in verse 16 this verse. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We will find that refrain several times throughout the Gospels. This highlighting of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, God indeed himself, spent a lot of time with his heavenly Father in prayer. And I wonder again for us, as people who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, how important it is for us to spend time in prayer. If Jesus, who had been anointed also needed to spend time in prayer seeking the will of his Father and, in a sense, being prepared for ministry. How much more do we need to spend time with God in prayer? That he would prepare us for the ministry he has for us. So men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. To be paralysed in this culture and this time would have been a terrible travesty. Now, we don't know any details of how the man was paralysed, how long he had been paralysed for, but firstly, this would have resulted in social exclusion, exclusion from the community, but indeed exclusion from the temple as well and from worship. Um, he 
there was no NDIS. It was a very unsympathetic time and culture to people with disabilities. Uh, it was probably likely that he wasn't able to generate an income and therefore unable to support a family. There wouldn't have been a lot to his life. Now, what's fascinating too is that in this culture, illness and indeed a disability would be associated with sin. And so rather than having compassion on a person when they're suffering, it would in fact be the opposite. It could very well be judgment and condemnation. Clearly, you've done something to offend God and this is your payment. So this person would not have received a lot of compassion. So not only do they have to suffer the physical disability and all that that means, but there's also the social exclusion and shame that comes with that. So to be a paralytic in this time and culture would have been a most difficult thing. But what we do see is this man had friends. He had advocates. Now, I wonder if, and, and, and they really go out of their way for their friend. Uh, we don't see this type of behavior happening with other miracles. It's just creative thinking, but I kind of wondered, you know, maybe all of these guys were on a job together, they were in a workplace, and this guy had an accident, and they were all involved, and they were a part of it. And they've been caring for him as a result you know, and then this opportunity comes for them to take their friend to Jesus and receive healing. I've been sort of just wondering about, you know, that. And um, it's sometimes it's fun to imagine and to think about what the circumstances might have been like. But when, Jesus, when the friends arrive with the paralytic and they lower him to Jesus, it's as if Jesus addresses the friends. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was so impressed by the faith of the paralytic's friends. Now, it doesn't exclude the fact that he too also could have had faith. But what we see in, in this passage is they didn't ask Jesus to heal the man. Jesus healed the man because he saw their faith being exercised. Last Sunday, Louise spoke about blind Bartimaeus. And remember, Bartimaeus was able to hear and he was able to speak. And so his faith was exercised through hearing and through speech. He called out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He exercised faith through his spoken word. And Jesus responded to that faith and healed him. Today, however, there's no spoken word of faith. However, there is faith being exercised practically through bringing this man to Jesus. And we see that faith is exercised both through word and indeed through deed. And this actually links with Jesus' vision statement in Luke 4, where he talks about proclaiming good news and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind. The ministry of Jesus is always a ministry of, of, of words and deed. The two always kind of go together and harmonize. It's never just one to the exclusion of the other. And we see in Jesus the teaching and the healing um, coming together so frequently in the Gospels. Then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began, to th began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The first thing that I wanted to share is the word blasphemy, it, it, it means to disrespect, to disregard, to show contempt towards God. And it was taken very seriously if someone were to do that. And the charge against Jesus speaking blasphemy is the understanding that only God can forgive sins. And the way that sins were forgiven was that a person would have to go to the temple. And they would have to go to a temple where a priest would make a sacrifice on their behalf. And there were religious practices that needed to happen. Now the priest was someone who was authorised, if you like, on God's behalf to offer forgiveness for sins. Uh, This is really messing with their minds. Sins are not forgiven outside of the temple. (laughs) But Jesus is clearly showing in this moment that he is the embodiment of the temple. And Jesus will start to refer to himself as the temple. Tear this temple down and in three days it will be rebuilt Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because he is the Son of God. Now, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this is the Jesus' most preferred way of referring to himself, the Son of Man. Um, the Son of Man identifies not with the Son of God, which kind of, I suppose, highlights Jesus' divinity, but Son of Man highlights Jesus' humanity. In a, in a way, Jesus is kind of like the perfect human, which he is. He perfectly displays humanity as God intended. Uh, But also the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, there is a prophecy of a Son of Man who is a messianic figure. Indeed, we would understand that person being Jesus, who is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And so in this moment, Jesus is now claiming the authority of the promised Messiah, who the religious teachers, again, should have been the most able to actually discern that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of the promised one. But they were the last ones who were able to see that. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I just want to backtrack a moment. When Jesus said to the Pharisees who were obviously feeling quite contemptuous in their hearts, and the scriptures tell us that Jesus could read their minds He questioned them as to why they were thinking the thoughts that they were thinking and why there was this conflict about Jesus' capacity to forgive sins. And he speaks to them by saying, which is easier, to forgive the sins or to say, you're healed? Now, the, the reason why Jesus says this is because you can only heal sins if you have the authority of God. But in order, like if someone is physically healed, you can actually see tangibly with your eyes that something has taken place. But when somebody says your sins are forgiven, there's no real visible evidence, is there, of sins being forgiven. And so 
the person who is forgiving the sins has to have the authority from God that is actually recognised. And there is a sense of trust, yes, that indeed, on behalf of God, one's sins have been forgiven. And so in that, in a sense, is the harder thing to do. But also in this society, which I mentioned earlier, where sort of disease, disease and illness was not only considered to be shameful, it was kind of directly correlated with sin. So sin and sickness go together, but also corresponding to that healing and forgiveness go together. And so when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, then in a sense there is healing that comes in that very word because the thing that has caused your illness or sickness has now been cured through forgiveness. And so we see that the greater need, of course, is the forgiveness of sins. And the physical healing follows immediately after. By healing the man second, Jesus demonstrates his authority to forgive sins. The physical healing demonstrates that Jesus, in fact, has the very authority that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. And then as the passage concludes, we see that God is doubly praised. The man, the paralytic who is healed, of course, praises God himself, but that also his healing results in the whole crowd praising God. And there's a real testimony in that. Just a few, four brief reflections on this passage. The first is the whole image of these friends carrying this man to Jesus. Uh, these friends obviously had great concern for their friend. They knew the life that he had been living and the pain that he had been suffering and they wanted to help him get to Jesus. They had faith that if they could get this man to Jesus, that Jesus could heal them. And we see the wonderful resourcefulness of their faith, that they don't give up. They find a creative way to get their friend to Jesus. Now, while you and I can't necessarily, or we can't physically take any of our friends who are in strife or who don't know Jesus to Jesus, spiritually, we can. We can carry our friends to Jesus in prayer. And that's a wonderful opportunity that we have. We can carry our friends to Jesus in prayer. And I find this such a heartening thought. You know, it's what we're going to do after our service this morning. We're going to carry our brother and sister to God in prayer. And sometimes that's all you can do. And that is really hard. But when that's all you can do, then that's all we should do. Because God is in control. And we see that when we carry our friends to Jesus and we do that faithfully, he is able to respond. What I love is that in this instance, let's say for argument's sake, that the man himself didn't have faith. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven because of the faith of the friends. The faith of the friends is a powerful thing. You and I in this room have friends. We know people who don't know Christ. But if we carry our friends to God and continue to um, intercede on their behalf with our faith, one day perhaps they might encounter Jesus and place their faith and trust in him. And Jesus will look at them and say, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
we also see in this passage that there's a real barrier to Jesus. It was a real struggle for these men to get their friend to Jesus because of the crowd and because of the the practical situation with the house. They made a way to get to Jesus. This text reminds us that particularly as believers who are in a sense meeting in a physical space that could become crowded, um, we can in fact create barriers to Jesus. And sadly, the church, I think, kind of universally has become a barrier to people encountering Jesus. Gone are the days where we can simply sit here and wait for our community to come to us to hear about Jesus. In actual fact, we now need to have a reverse ministry of taking Jesus to people, to where they are. What are the barriers to Jesus? It would be helpful for us to be aware of what those barriers are. Of course, it's not to say that people won't come, and it's not to say that we won't minister to them by God's grace when they do, but it's also to say that we can't stop there. We need to increasingly become people who understand that we've actually been sent on mission to share the gospel and to share Jesus with people where they are at. And if we can find ways to take Jesus to people, they'll have the opportunity to experience and encounter him. This text highlights our greatest need. And oftentimes the greatest need feels like the thing that is most immediate and most pressing. And for the paralytic, obviously his condition was the most immediate and most pressing need that he had. If he could receive physical healing, he might be able to work. He'd be restored to community. He wouldn't have to experience the shame and the pain that came with being a social outcast. But there was a greater need. And that need was forgiveness of his sins. And unless we receive the forgiveness of our sins, we face the consequences of eternal separation from God. And we can only receive forgiveness of sins by having an encounter with the one who has the authority of God to forgive sins. And that person is Jesus. And this story is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because you and I were paralyzed in our sins. There was nothing we could do to get ourselves to God, to be made right with God. No amount of hard work or effort could get us there. We were stuck at home in a bed. We couldn't do anything. But then God took the initiative in his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to pay a price that we could never pay, a debt that we owed that we could never repay. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus creates a way to then take us to God. And Jesus takes us to God and our sins are forgiven and we are healed and restored. Thanks be to God. And the only proper response to what Jesus has done is to praise God. And to embrace the freedom of what God has done. The first thing this man did was walked. He was unable to walk, but he walked. He walked home. And there is so much freedom for you and I to live into from right now into eternity. As we seek to live a life that demonstrates a life that God intended for us. A life of abundance. A life of goodness a life of justice and love, a life that not only gives praise to God, but also um, encourages others 
to praise God. That's the story of Luke 5, 17 to 26. Thanks be to God for Christ and for the forgiveness of sins, our greatest need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful miracle of having our sins forgiven. And Lord, that by having our sins forgiven, we know that we will never have to face eternal separation from you, God. And so we thank you so much for this. And Lord, I would pray right now for anyone in this room who has yet to place their faith in you. Lord, I pray that they might come to know you as Lord and Saviour. I pray for each one of us here that we might be friends who carry others to Jesus. Sometimes that might mean taking them to certain places where they will hear about Jesus. Sometimes it will involve us using our words or our ears in hearing. At other times it will involve actions and doing things. Father, I pray that as you anointed Jesus and Jesus spent time in prayer, so too you would lead us as to how we can carry friends to Jesus through the anointing of your spirit and through spending time in prayer. Lord, we thank you that our greatest need has been met in Jesus, our Saviour. And we thank you that when we could do nothing to save ourselves, you took the initiative and sent Jesus to pay that price that we could never pay. And thank you that as a result, we can enjoy eternity with you. But thank you also that you have good work for us to do now, Lord, that ultimately brings you praise and awe and wonder. And as we seek to bring you praise and awe and wonder, we pray that others would join us in that song, declaring that you indeed are sovereign over all creation as we know you are. Thank you for your spirit who is with us and ministers to us through your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.